This is Cam for the Nerd Book Review, where we strive to broaden your fantasy horizons. Today, Barry and I will be bringing you Shards of Honor by Lois McMaster Buhold, one of the most decorated sci-fi authors of all time. Her Varkozagan saga spans close to 20 novels uh, and several short stories as well, and is quite expansive in its character base. Shards of Honor is the very first novel she wrote. Uh, we do talk about that a little bit and how the second novel in this series is the eighth book she wrote. So there's quite the jump from book one to two. When I first read this series, I read the entire series. Uh, I think there was 14 out of the time. So I read one through 14 all in a row because I enjoyed them quite a bit. So with one last quick spiel, I will get right to the episode. You can reach us via email at nerdbookreview at gmail.com on Twitter with the handle Nerdbook Review, and on our Facebook page, Nerdbook Review. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a great day. Hi, I'm Cam. I'm Barry. And this is the Nerdbook Review. Today, we are going to be reviewing Shards of Honor by Lois McMaster Buhold. Yeah. <laughs> Quite the name there. Pretty um, exciting. Yeah. All right. I will give the book info real quick. Um, and then I'm also going to talk a little bit more about her since she is one of the titans of uh, sci-fi, even though I feel like a lot of people don't know who she is. Uh, this book was first released in 1986. It is the first novel in the Vorkosigan saga. There are either 16 or 17 novels and six novellas in the series. Uh, she jumped around a bit in the series, so um, if you do decide to start reading this series, uh, go to her website, or you can find any of a number of websites that have her preferred reading order at this point, because there are some books that will like go back in time, um, and then she'll have like different things here and there. In the edition, I don't mean to interrupt, oh, in no, the edition ahead. I read, she does have a certain order that she likes, but she gives you several different option for options for it. And she did say that when she wrote these books, she wanted it to be able, you can pick up any book and kind of get what's going on without too much difficulty at all. So, but yeah. still, there might be a preferable way to do it. But it's not like picking up, uh, like starting the uh, movie series uh, at Mocking Jay Part One, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Um, so, and there are like at least two, maybe more books that are completely separate just in the world. There's one um, that's set on a separate planet that doesn't include any of the main characters. Uh, and then there's another one that's set like 400 years in the past. So obviously none of the characters are in that one either. Um, but yeah, so um, there's a, you know, there's a chronological order to the books and that is how she recommends it at this point. So this is the Vorkosigan series, correct? Yep. Yep. Vorkosigan cycle, I guess, is the actual uh, ah. name. Um, so real quick to about um, Buhold is that um, I really do feel like a lot of people don't know who she is. But here's just a list of a few things that she's won. She has won seven. Count that seven Hugos. That is more than any other person, man or woman. She's won three Nebulas, three Locus Awards, and a whole bunch of other like minor awards. She's been nominated for the Hugo seven or sixteen times, so uh, she has a ton of awards. Uh, in addition to this series, she does have a set of fantasy novels as well. Um, it, it says I, the way I was looking at it, there's either eleven or twelve novels in her fantasy series. So um, 
she's pretty prolific. And I have to admit, I'm ashamed that I had never heard of this big science fiction titan <laughs> uh, when you suggested that we read this book. I'm like, and I looked her up. It's like, wow, this is she has a lot of stuff out there. Oh my goodness. Yeah, no, it really is crazy. I mean, well, and you know, like I said, I mean, her first, she published this novel when at this point when we were about three years old. So, uh, you know, now it's it's over 30 years now, you know, it's, uh, God, it's getting on to closer to 35 years. Than <laughs> yeah. So, um, Barry, will you read? It's actually a pretty short uh, blurb. Yeah. When Cordelia Naismith and her survey crew are attacked by a renegade group from Bariar, she is taken prisoner by Errol Vokosikin, commander of the Barian ship that has been taken over by an ambitious and ruthless crew member. Errol and Cordelia survive countless mishaps while their mutual admiration and ev- even stronger feelings emerge. Ooh. Ooh. Yes. Can um, you feel the love tonight? <laughs> uh, my quick one is an epic space opera about honor and love. Very good. So, um, just first off, absolutely not hard sci-fi. Uh, if you are, uh, if you like the Martian or the three-body problem that we talked about, because of the science fiction aspects of it, this is not your book. Yeah, it's set in space, and there's spaceships, and there's imaginary different planets, but that's almost—it's not a very wide scope in a lot of different ways. It actually has a wide scope in a few ways, like there's an intergalactic battle going on. But um, if this was a movie, um, the camera lens is on faces m- way more than it's on landscapes. Would you agree oh, yeah. with that, that assessment? That's a good. That's a really good way to describe it. Yeah, this is more like a... Th- especially this novel in particular is more a novel about uh, two people. Uh, Errol Vorkosigan, um, who's the Brian... And you know, I I have to admit, I is for having read all of these books at least once, I have the hardest time saying I think it's Barayar, Barry, but I but I literally in my head say it different ways depending on how it's it's spelled B A R R A Y A R, but I always just call it Barayar. Yeah, Barayar. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I don't know if that's correct, but it's the only Whatever one. Whatever you do, don't throw me in the Barayar patch. <laughs> yeah. So uh, sounds good to me. I'll I'll go with that one. All right, that'll work. Um, so I guess real quick, the main plot line is is that Cordelia, she is from uh, a colony called Beta Colony. Um, I always think of them as like the Californians, especially in later books where uh, you get more into the planet itself. Um, they're like they were they colonize a desert planet. They mostly live underground. And uh, they're super liberal in terms of like their social outlook on life. Um, in fact, uh, you one of the other later books, well, not too far into it, actually, maybe it's two or three from here, they'll talk about the, uh, the, the coming of age ritual on, on the planet uh, on Beta Colony is for them to uh, go up to this space station where a group of uh, genetic hermaphrodites that, that were like created by the Beta Colony you go up and you have a sexual encounter with them to see what you really like. Wow, sounds like a real uh, cult. <clears throat> well, I mean, not really. Well, not a cult, but yeah, <clears throat> yeah. But a I mean, cult would do. But, but like, yeah, it does sound like that. But like, that's their like that's like just expected that that's what you're going to do when you turn 18, you know. So super liberal uh, in their in their viewpoint, and you'll see that a little bit with her. 
like much more egalitarian. Uh, she doesn't like the Baryans because they're basically like imperialists. Um, a little bit more background info that you don't know in this one as well, but is is you know important if you're going to keep reading such a long series. Is and so the Baryans, um, they're like they were colonized by Russians, you know, Russian colonists at some point, and then mm. you find out in the second book that they're. Um, that they had a so people travel through wormholes, right? From wormhole to wormhole, and that's mm-hmm. how you get from galaxy, or I guess you know, solar system to solar system. And the, the Baryans, uh wormhole collapsed for a couple hundred years, um, just the generation before what we're starting at now. And you get you get hints of the you know what had happened on the planet in this book, but it really gets explained in book two. Oh, okay. And so, um, so for like a couple hundred years, they basically went back to medieval technology almost. I guess it really did. Like they were fighting with like cavalry sabers and horses, and they went back to so the Vors. So if you have a if you see like so Errol, his last name is Vorkozigan. His actual last name is Kozigan, and Vor means he's a count. So they were like one of the they're the nobility. Yeah. And so yeah, basically like they went medieval, and it was only like about twenty years or so, maybe a little bit longer than that before this book takes place that they got back to being a spacefaring civilization nice. again. I think I'm going to start going by Vorsmith. Does that sound fun? <laughs> there you are, man. But uh, anyways, that's like more information than you need to know for this book, obviously. But like that's just like if you're going to get into the whole series, especially since things jump around, it's not necessarily a that's not a spoiler to know that, you know, because it's just part of the wider lore. And they do get into the Vor thing in this book pretty well. They do. Um, and especially towards the end of it. But I think that, you know, just the knowing that like the reason that they're the way they are, you don't actually really, it might be mentioned once or twice, but it's not a big part of it. But book two, it is a big part of, um, of the story, knowing like that they lost their, um, wormhole for a while. And that's why they went back to the way they were. Interesting. Kind of like uh, when Japan shut itself off from the world. Yeah, actually, yeah. In this case, was forced. Just you know, theirs was a you know decision. But but that is a good way to to put that. Um. So anyway, so Cordelia, she's the Beta Colony liberal. Now they're on this planet that they think is uncharted. When the story starts, she's a, like a field biologist. It seems like in the beginning of the she movie, she is. Yeah, the the Beta and uh, the Baden. Uh, Astrological survey is what their navy is called, you know. Nice. So yeah, so she's out like on this planet that's supposed to be um, uncharted, and then she gets captured by um, Errol's crew, or not? Yeah. She gets ambushed, I guess, is the way by Errol's crew. Would you say she's outstanding in her field? <laughs> oh dear! Uh, oh God. Um. But so Errol, um, he was he underwent a mutiny by his crew um, right off the bat. You find that out, and you'll find out pretty quickly, too, that that was part of like the whole uh, politics of the Empire. Mm-hmm. And so, anywho. One thing that I picked up on, some parallel I found, is he seems like a pretty rough, brutish dude, or at least that's like the image that he has early on in the book, especially. Um, and she's kind of like a very educated female. Seems like, you know, like kind of... Fairly liberal stance, if we have to use our own uh, like vernacular yeah. there. But parallel I found with another story that we're all familiar with is a little bit of the Beauty and the Beast. You know, like a very educated woman is somewhat kidnapped by a, a male figure, like a dominant, un, fairly uncivilized male figure that is 
um, finds and then they find a way to be attracted to each other. I mean, obviously that uh, parallel breaks down sooner or later, but uh, just a quick parallel that I found there, a little few normal character archetypes that you see a lot. Yeah. Uh, this is totally going off on a tangent, but I love, have you ever seen that deal um, where they talk about how uh, um, she, Belle, really should have chosen Gaston because he was a, a, like he wasn't nobility and he they said he came back from a war and in France at that point, the war he probably came back with was the one right before the uh, the French Revolution. So probably a few years after uh, the end of Beauty and the Beast story takes place. Uh, the Beast would have been executed for being a noble. Probably Bell would have been executed as well. Gaston probably would have been sitting on the uh, committee of of uh, what was the committee of correspondence? Committee of public safety. Committee of public safety, because he was a self-made man, and uh, he probably would have sent Bell and the uh, and the Beast to the guillotine. Yeah, and that's that is very true, but. Uh the same person also would have likely gotten killed in the war. He'd gotten his own head cut off for not being extreme enough or gotten his head cut off or just killed in Russia by mites or <laughs> Russians during the... So either way, Bell, like women during that time period, did not have a whole lot of luck in having a long-lasting relationship. That's fact. So War as hell, kids. <laughs> yeah. Revolution generally ends up with unintended consequences. Yeah. So, uh, Barry, I've done most of the talking at this point, especially because I've been talking about, um, you know, stuff that goes on uh, afterwards. Um, what are some of your thoughts on the book? Okay, I thought it was a pretty uh, uh, good book in some stories. Like one thing you mentioned earlier that she, you said she mentioned in some uh, interviews, and, and that was something I thought of too, is I like the story, like, the best part of the story, I think, is the characters. I like Errol Vorkosigan, and I like Cordelia. I think they're great characters. I think it's... I don't read a lot of romance novels, we'll say, for now. At least the ones that I'll admit. You know, who knows? <laughs> Maybe I read a lot of the Harlequins all the time. You'll never know. Maybe I'll have to find my old, old other podcast sometime <laughs> that doesn't exist. But... Um, yeah, I don't really read a lot of, but this is, I mean, there's, we read a lot of books that have some romance in them. Uh -huh. It's hard to avoid it at all, but this is like a very, very kind of, romance is a main theme that's up front in the movie, in, in the uh, book, I should say. And I'm not used to reading those, but I thought it was like, I thought it was pretty good, you know? Um, I like the characters, you know? I, the, some of the side characters weren't amazing. There were a couple pretty good ones, a pretty good villain in there. There's another pretty good, like, trying to think of their names right now some of those side characters but uh, Kadelka is one that doesn't play a huge role in this one um he was the the captain that gets hit with a nerve gun you know you okay re remember him he was the one that that uh was loyal to Errol when he um went back is he he comes back in the series though he later? will play a he, he will be like one of the main secondary characters throughout the whole rest of this series Okay, and there was another... Um, and then eventually his daughters will be important as well. Okay, I'm trying to think of the name of that character who's another side character that, uh, you know, there's a, obviously some... There's a very sadistic character who we're meant to not like for many reasons. Veruder? The, uh, also, like the main bad guy? Admiral Veruder is a very kind of sadistic character you're meant to not like because of his depravities in many ways. And so he's... I think he's a pretty good character and... Uh, um, Both Bothery is another like important kind of side character. Is he the big sergeant? 
Yeah. yeah. He's kind of the guy who's a little bit dumb, but like, but kind of like also kind of loyal yeah. towards Cordelia and ends up being kind of a fairly decent character. But, and, but he'll, other... and he'll play a role through a huge part of the series as well. Mm-hmm. But like other than that, I wasn't terribly impressed with like a lot of the side characters. Not a whole lot going on. But I was, but it was, it's like you know, I was more impressed when I was kind of seeing uh, Errol or Cordelia on the pages. Yeah, and yeah, there was. Uh... Well, one thing too, actually, is I'm pretty sure this book's under 300 pages long, and from here on out, after like once she, like I said, this is her first book ever. And then the second book in the Vorkosigan cycle is her eighth novel. So obviously there's a big uh, um, a big jump in her skill level, you know, from book two on. But I'm trying to think, I'm pretty sure that um, the uh, that this is a fairly short book. Yeah, it is a pretty short book here. So there's um, not necessarily the time for there to be a ton of side characters. But then, like, you go on to, like, books... Well, the book seven is, is, all, is like, 340 pages. So none of them... You know what? None of the books are actually all that long for what I thought they were. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it might just take some time to uh, yeah. get into the characters and develop them. Yeah, actually, one thing, I guess, for guys, for, for some of you... If you whether you um, if this is this I guess could be either a positive or a negative. It looks like book two is three hundred and seventy two pages. So um, you know not, they're not going to be like six seven hundred page behemoths of a of novels, but they're you know they're not also they're none of them are as short as this one either. But yeah, I actually and a lot of my like talking and my thinking about things right here, it's hard for me because I've read the entire series, so I'm like, oh yeah, well. Like there's at least three side characters in this novel that don't get a lot of talk, who will get a whole lot bigger roles as the series goes on. It's kind of funny to think about that. That like that in that uh, that yeah, maybe they don't. Um, Bathari is probably the one that gets the most page time for a side character. That um, makes sense. He seems like a pretty darn good character. Yeah. So um, but yeah, this is. But I mean. While this is kind of a romance novel in in some ways, it's not like a romance novel like a Harlequin is. You know, it's that's not the. How would you know how a Harlequin is? I mean, I've seen one, read or one or two before. I'm sure. Ah, uh, <laughs> guilty. <laughs> I didn't admit it. He just admitted it. I mean, oh my goodness. Maybe we should do a podcast sometime on uh, something like that. Well, my old neighbor. In my last house, his daughter and and son-in-law wrote uh, fantasy romance novels. Oh, nice. Like actual fantasy romance yeah. novels. Oh, 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 wow, that's cool. Yeah. Well, I think about uh, As Good As It Gets, that romance novel writer, uh, uh, Jack Nicholson in that movie. As good as, yeah, that's his job, a romance novel writer. No, but he's really? also a very disagreeable person. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, maybe maybe coming up as tender as the storm. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, so but one thing to um, it, it's not as uh, obvious in this novel, although it is mentioned that uh, Errol, who is uh, the count, did have a sexual relationship with uh, Veruder, who's another male character um, oh, in this one. It does mention that in this novel. Um, and, um, that's one thing I think that, uh, um, 
Buhold really uh, was a pioneer in that that way. That uh, she will throughout this entire series, there will be quite a few uh, gay characters, and it will just be considered like a normal part of life. You know, like it's not a big deal. Mm. Um, Interesting. So that's something that I think a lot, that some of our um, the people that listen to this podcast, I've had it mentioned more than once that they like it when we mention whether there are gay characters. Um, in fact, there's one, one one of the standalone novels in this series actually has a planet where only men are allowed to live, and they are not celibate. So shocking, shocking. Yes. So um, obviously there are uh, homosexual characters there. Um, so um, the I think that another thing in this one, like you said, is that um, she does also have a lot of female characters, and certainly not they're not like Heinlein where they're um, they're damsels in distress at times, you know. Like Cordelia is clearly the smartest person on the in this whole uh, equation. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I think, yeah, this movie—I mean, the show. Why do we keep calling it a movie, Jiminy mm-hmm. Gravy? But uh, <laughs> maybe it's the movie in my mind talking. I don't know. I have a lot of those. <laughs> uh, I think uh, it—it it definitely seems, and you can probably nod your head here, but it seems like they're setting up a wider story here, even though it's her first novel. Mm-hmm. And, she seems like she's setting up a while. Like it seem, it almost seems like a the, a prequel that was done first in some yeah. ways. Like <laughs> you're setting it up at the fall of an empire here, where there's an emperor who's trying to kind of set things right in a certain way. And but like when you know maybe <clears throat> if someone was going to film, if if someone was going to do a just a movie of this series, I don't think they would do a movie of Shards of Honor. They might start a little bit later in the series, just you know, because some of the character developments out of way, you can already have established a husband wife relationship, and mm-hmm. then you can get into a lot more of a compelling action based story from there. Well, that's actually um, as for someone who doesn't know what's going to about to happen, um, these two characters are only the main characters in this book and the second book. And while this is giving away spoilers, it's a 35-year-old book, um, so I'm more okay with giving away spoilers. Their son will become the main character in probably 10 of the next books, you know? Um, well, So there, there's 16 books. I believe there's two or three, maybe th- so there's three novels that that are set you know separately or other people are main characters. So 11 of the next 16 books, their son will actually be the main character in the in the book. Well, that's m- impressive to do a multi-generational series. It is. It's like three generations by the time this is all um, said and done. Well, and, and, and I don't know. I think she came out with a new one of these not too long ago either. But the... Um, and the main character coming up, uh, Miles, their son, um, will actually be... He's disabled as well. So there's... Um, there's that, and it's it's a big deal on on Briar, you know, because they they actually practice like the the whole uh, they used if a kid was born deformed, then um, before they became spacefaring again, they would expose them to the elements, you know, or smother them in their as an infant. So um, it's going to be a big deal that he's uh, that he's not. And well, I think that's another example. You know, we're talking about. Um like introducing, and I'm okay with doing this. It's it's good. Is uh, introducing minority characters. It's another minority you can introduce yep. as like a disabled people. Yeah, who can be very valuable to the uh, plot line. Yeah, and once it gets into to Miles, um, there's going to be some romance elements, but in a large like for a while, he's going to be a space pirate. 
So there's going to be, it's, it's a lot more of like a, basically just a thriller action type book in space, you know, as it goes on. And so, um, so anyways, the, uh, this, like I said, this, this is really throughout the entire series. It's, it's a character driven thing. It is not, I mean, there's some cool gadgets and some cool spaceships that they'll have at various points, but, uh, they're not worrying. She's not worrying about whether what she talks about is scientifically accurate. Okay, and that's fun. One of the parts of the book I found very more interesting and compelling was kind of fairly near the end of the book where they had uh, like all the like hidden, um, maybe this is spoiler, you cut it, but all those hidden fetuses that had been kind of like <laughs> the, the babies of rape. I mean, like I think that's, that's like a little bit, that's pretty dark and it's almost kind of ahead of its time. I mean, not, not that grim dark elements hadn't been out there before, but yeah. I think it's almost fairly like a kind of a, like a pretty... Uh, heavy turn for the book. Yeah, and I mean, there is a lot of uh, like social justice type stuff in it too later on. Um, they're going to, at one point, like uh, a book will be set on a planet where slavery still actively takes place, especially sexual slavery. And, you know, that's in the, it's that's obviously not shown in a positive light, but it, and you get to see how, just how devastating it can be for people. So there really is a lot of uh, like, social justice type stuff in this not in this series but i never felt like it just like punched you in the face with it you know it was just a it was an element of the story showing that like there's no like one central government in throughout the the planets you know there's i think that the uh empire that has the most is actually kind of like the either the chinese or the japanese and i think they've got like five planets and they like practice like severe gene therapy and uh um they have like the way that I mean they're basically like completely gene edited to, for their for their nobility, you know. So yeah, it's uh um, it's just an adventure story that ha- that has you know some books will have some romance in them, some of them won't. Yeah. One thing, okay, I guess to agree with uh, Lo- Lois, what you were saying is, I did find this book. I mean, to fault it a little bit, I did find it. Sometimes it just didn't. I just didn't find myself into it. I didn't find the flow. I mean, there was some clunkiness to the plot, and like I don't know. It's uh, you know that feeling when you're just not terribly into the book. Well, I found that at times it would just slow down. It'd be forcing myself through pages and then there'd be times I'd pick up and then I'd be reading along I'd get another 50 pages in like no one's business mm-hmm. and then it would clunk along again and I might not might go slow and not just get much get as much out of it but you know from what you're saying I mean maybe her skill level uh, picks up quite a bit and you get a lot more uh, like quicker paced um, easily flowing novels later on in the series. Yeah, it's funny. You get a lot of authors who who will, will be like, "Oh, you know, I, you, I'm glad you're reading my first book, but I wish you could start with the fifth book in the series or the third book in the series." You know, where my skill level like took a big leap. And I and you know, it's funny though for me though. I actually did love the book. Um, I way more than I thought because even I told you before we started this, I was like, "It's too bad we couldn't read like the third or fourth book in the series." And and for years, I've always told people, you know, because even she will mention that, you know, this was my first book, and I get a whole lot. Book two was my eighth book, so it's a lot better. But 
and I always in in my mind that's kind of how I always just thought of it. But I actually maybe it's because I was nostalgic going back to a story that I love so much. A story that I you know is what I like so much about it. Maybe did, beca- just a quick question: When did you first read it? Well, I read these about. I think that I was trying to think about this earlier. I I'm sure it was before. Or Katie and I were together, but I'm not sure if we we definitely didn't have brand yet. So probably like five or six years ago. Um, and I read. There were 14 novels and then, um, uh, geez, all the novellas. So there was a total of 21 books out at that time, and I read all of them back to back to back to back. Oh, wow. Yeah, I read, I started off with this book, and I didn't finish until the book that she had had the most recent book she had written at that point. Yeah, I loved it, the whole series, you know. And so, um, Barry... Uh, what are some of your other? Do you have any other thoughts um, about this that you think you, we we need to talk about before we get into like the whole rating and things like that? Well, um, not really. Other than you know, it does it does. If I had to put it somewhere, it's a space opera. There, you're yep. definitely dealing with some warfare. There's some politics, and there obviously is another good element. I think of the book is you're getting into. Uh, not trying to be too hero. You're not making your heroes beyond noble. You're you're making some like level of uh, like some of the people who are slightly on a villainous side have some sympathy. Like you're not making um, Something you're not making white. like a, a propaganda. Like you're, I'm going to make the most evil character I can. I'm going to make the most noble hero that I can. They're definitely getting. She does a good job of getting into nuances of like you know, the complexity of human beings. Yeah, actually, that's something, um, especially for its time. Um, you, you you know, one thing that's always funny, like with Robert Jordan, and for example, is my one of my favorite fantasy series, and it starts at that time. It was starting, he was starting to write at the same time she was, is, you know, he has the dark one, and you have the chosen one. You definitely don't have the dark one and the chosen one in this in this series. You have characters who, like Errol, for example, his nickname is he's known in the wider world as the Butcher of Komar, which is the first planet that the Baryans um, took over after they got became spacefaring again. And uh, so, you know, he has some baggage, even though he's one of the good guys. Uh, Cordelia, they talk about the, her poor personal decisions she's made in the past, you know, and and uh, so. Yeah, there's a lot of nuance, even with the bad guys. There, I mean, you know, some of the characters that that are definitely would be more bad guys in this one aren't are going to have you know redemption arcs and things like mm. that and or sometimes it's just an adversary too you know it's yeah. just like they're in the way of your goals yeah yep and so uh, there is a lot of nuance there's that's certainly not just a black and white even good guys do bad things and bad guys do good things sometimes mm-hmm. Barry what would you rate this novel Oh, I'd give it a 3.25. You know, there's a pretty good book. You know, a lot of stories, ideas. I'm going to give it plenty of room because, yeah, it did, it did clunk along at times. I just didn't get... It didn't feel like I was just, like, into it. I didn't come home, like, wanting to finish the book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think... Uh, definitely kind of ended almost suddenly this book in a way like I mean they did kind of get to a almost a logical stopping point but I thought maybe I mean it's like whoa that's it and I thought there was more to go here like that's how we're ending I guess we're going on to the next book now but I mean I guess she's obviously republished the book kind of with another book now they after she like uh, what do, what do they call? I think they now call it like put this and another book and they call it Cordelia's Honor now and that's oh is it, I think it's a trilogy probably, now publishes yeah it. 
as one as one physical copy and and is because that may be a more logical way to read it. Yeah, maybe. Um, maybe it was only a duology then because I'm trying to remember. But yeah, there are there are a lot like anthologies. That's the way to, that they're they're put together because um, the first two novels for sure I think are together. Maybe the third one is too. But I. But I know that the first two are, you know, Cordelia and Errol are the main characters, and then Miles will be from there on out, except for, you know, like I said, the few that he's not. So, yeah, so maybe they're they're set up in that way. I'm trying to remember how I read them. Um, I have most of them on, uh, on my Kindle, but I do have some physical copies, so I'd have to look and see. But, um, and you know what's funny, though? Um, I... I'm going to give this a five star still because I really did love it. But I do have to admit that I have a hard time knowing if I love it because I just loved the whole series so much, you know, and it was fun for me to go back and and start at the beginning because sometimes there's a little bit of that nostalgia that you have that you don't have if it was the first time I'd read the book. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, so, yeah, I'm just going to give it a five star for me because I loved it. And I'm glad I reread it the second time. I guess that that's a good way to put it is, is that I'm happy that I read it again. Um, do you think you're going to read more in the series or not? Uh, well, the thing is, I may get to it. You know, like mm-hmm. I mean, there's other series like it has to really get me like at least this current point to like mm-hmm. want to keep reading on, which I'm doing with Red Rising right now. Oh good. God, I read the Goodness whole trilogy in five sakes days. Alive. Okay, we're serious. We'll probably do that. We'll probably do that series of the podcast, but. So you don't is it's probably not something that right offhand right away you're gonna keep reading. Yeah, so. and like and there's other series I'd love to keep reading too, but like I almost wanna just read the first series almost for this podcast, you know, as much of mm-hmm. time as I have for reading. You know, it's I, I I'm more of a guy who I'm, I like to just I like new ideas and I'll jump into a new series and like stop after the first book. Maybe that's a problem. Some people might not might see that as crazy, but that just seems to be what I do with like, oh, all right. I bet the bet the next book's good. Uh, what else is out there? <laughs> I bet the next book's great, but I uh, but yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess one last thing real quick um, is this series is probably good for anyone from from like young teens on up in terms of uh, I don't think there's a ton of. Uh, well, there is a lot of like social justice stuff, and there's going to be some more adult ideas and themes later on. But I don't think it's you know it's not like grim dark. There's no like real descriptive sex scene. There's none in this book. There's none you know in any of the books. I don't think it gets too graphic ever. So um, you can uh, you could be fairly young and and start reading these books and, and enjoy them. I think. It definitely seems like you know like it's, it's almost might be like almost some. Some crossover almost with YA a little bit. I don't know. It seems like if you found this in young adult section of the uh, bookstore, it wouldn't seem terribly out of place. Yeah, but I, yeah, minus some of the like adult themes. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, we talk, we're we're going to talk about when we talk about Red Rising that in a lot of ways Red Rising is a YA novel, but it's so brutal that I don't know that you could really call it a yeah, YA. Yeah, definitely wouldn't be in that section of the store. But it, even though it has themes that relate to yeah. It, Almost like you know, for YA fans who grew up. Yeah, that's kind of a that's that's a good way to put it. But yeah, it's. But anyways, we'll talk about it here in another week or two, I guess. So, 
Uh, Barry, uh, thank you again for coming on out. And well, thanks uh, for having me out here. Yep. as always, mm. always a pleasure talking about all co- <laughs> all sorts of books with you guys. Yeah, I really enjoy this. And I really it? appreciate all the listeners too. You know, that's a it, this is a real hobby of mine doing. Yeah, I think for all of us too. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. It's and one, you know, we always it's it's a way to get us as uh, late thirties guys together in a way that our wives are, are okay with us doing it. So. Yeah, totally. <laughs> All righty. Well, Barry, good luck. As uh, the last little bit of school, you're almost done for yep. the summer, and keep it between the mayonnaise and the mustard. I don't know what that means exactly, but like on the on the uh, you want to stay between the yellow line and the white line on the road. Oh, I see. There you are. A lot of symbolism there. Yeah. See, I actually put all my condiments on the same side, right? I don't put like mustard on one side and mayo on the other. Okay. Yeah. Do you, when you do peanut butter, do you do two sides? Do you peanut butter both sides of the peanut butter, or do you just one side? Oh, I just peanut butter on the bread. I just put peanut butter on one piece of bread and jelly on the other piece of bread. And oh, okay. Put them together. Yeah, that's a pretty good way to do it. Although, do you like, put them? How do you do it? I do peanut butter on both sides. Do you so really? A lot, a lot of well, more of that all the time when you're going to pack the peanut butter. It keeps the bread from getting soggy. So you want it to get. You want peanut butter on both sides. Of course, it makes it like it. It tilts it in favor of the protein, the peanut butter, but yeah. like, that's not a terrible thing to begin with. Huh. So, yeah, I guess well, you, I don't like, to, as a general rule, I don't like a sandwich that I have to put in a baggie, anyways, because then it tastes like plastic to me. I swear that if the peanut butter and jelly sandwich is like the worst for those. So I rarely make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that I don't eat right away. Do you ever put it in a shroud of saran? <laughs> That's what I always did growing up. Is uh, put, did you? Yeah. Huh. Or what's another? But you ever notice like I'm how aluminum your... foil kind of guy? Because I don't like the plasticky taste. That's true. Yeah, you know, aluminum foil is really good. Not for the microwave. Well, yeah, saran isn't either. You ever do that? You ever notice that your mom still makes a better sandwich? Like whenever you're like visit your parents, like they make sandwiches for after, like like wow. Moms make the great sandwiches. Even if you try to copy it, you can't duplicate it. If you've ever, you've met, have you met my mom before? Yeah, my mom's not the most motherly person in the world, so she doesn't make me a lot of sandwiches still. Oh, okay. In fact, the last time I was home, I that I actually stayed there, and they were going to supposed to take care of me. They ended up, my mom ended up getting drunk and tried to make me make a sandwich, and I had just had surgery. And I was like, Mom, will you make me a sandwich? She's like, make your own damn sandwich. And then while you're at it, make me a sandwich. Yeah. I don't well, have the most motherly mother. Anyway, I guess we... Guess we, <laughs> just, we just hit on a raw nerve right there, Barry. Oh, man. <laughs> All righty. Well, I now need to go get my kids from daycare. So okay. I had a day off, and I still dropped them off at daycare. Nice. And then I cleaned house and played video games. Because you're on Smoko. <laughs> That is literally the that's that song is so awful. I swear to Christ, that's gonna be stuck in my head. It is. It's 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 awful. I should have left him alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I gotta get going. Thanks, Barry. Thanks, Barry.